In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. It is time to ring the bells of Notre Dame, the 25th anniversary of Walt Disney Animation Studios' masterpiece, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, has arrived. What a significant film in the legacy of Disney animation for its music, for its deep themes, and perhaps most importantly, its resonance with so many viewers all around the world myself included. And to recognize this anniversary, it only seemed fitting to focus primarily on the music, but also its impact in other spaces. And you'll hear in just a bit my conversation with returning guest, Dr. James Mason, who is the author of the Disney Connections and Collections series. Uh, We've had James on before, and he always brings a very insightful and witty uh, touch to everything. Uh, And so I was really thrilled to to be able to bring him onto this conversation. You will notice that this is a two-part episode because we had a lot to cover, not just the music, but also uh, our connections to Hunchback, its impact in other spaces in society, including on stage and in the theme parks and other sectors as well. So um, this is the first of two parts. So get ready for a whole lot of Hunchback on Notably Disney. This summer commemorates the 25th anniversary of the debut of one of my favorite Disney animated films, which is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And it only felt fitting to cover the music uh, in terms of the songs and the score, as well as just the influence of the musical over the past few decades and and even our uh, original memories of the film Um, and its impact on our lives. And I felt that it was very apropos to bring on to Notably Disney once again, a person who really also enjoys Hunchback and has uh, considered it to be a a great favorite film of his as well. Um, So welcome back to Notably Disney, Dr. James Mason. James, glad you could be here. Hi, Brett. Thanks for inviting me back. Um, I'm quite excited to talk about Hunchback of Notre Dame. 
it's not only like my favorite Disney film, it's probably in the top five of my films ever, I guess. Well, then, it, it, then it's absolutely perfect. And you are here uh, as someone who's quite the aficionado. And mm-hmm. um, well, we're going to cover a lot of different facets of Hunchback, as I mentioned, but I, I'd like to kind of go back to the beginning, um, as we just briefly mentioned, what our connections are to the film um, when we first experienced it um, and, and what it meant to us. Could you maybe bring us back to that day? See, this is a difficult question because I can't remember the first time I saw The Hunchback in Notre Dame. I can remember, well, I I know that I didn't see it in the cinema um, and I would have had it on VHS tape um, that I watched several times and then since bought on DVD and Blu-ray. But as to my first memory of Hunchback in Notre Dame, I, I can't pin it down. But for some reason... It stuck with me. Um, I, I was, let's say, it came out in 96. I would have been 12. Um, so when I saw it, I was probably in my teens, late teens, uh, at an impressionable age. Um, and whether what it meant to me then is what it means to me now, I'm not quite sure. Because I think, as I, I've mentioned before, and I've uh, been on, on your podcast here, that um, one of the things that particularly resonates with me is uh, as a, a gay man, it's, I see Hunchback Notre Dame as particularly the Disney version as a coming out story. And so that's why it's, it resonates so much. And so I don't know at what point I realized that's why it was resonating with me. But yeah, so it, it's, it's had an impact on me and it's, I wouldn't say it's helped me come to terms with sexuality at any point but it's been something that I've used to interpret sexuality perhaps. Yeah well I think that's kind of the almost the transferability of a of a character like Quasimodo um, for for so many um, groups of individuals in terms of just feeling comfortable in your own skin and and being who you are and and putting Mm -hmm. yourself out there no pun intended Um, (laughs) there's no shortage of of puns I have no doubt Um, I've had a similar experience with Hunchback and I don't recall if I had mentioned this on the show but similarly as a gay man I see parallels in terms of of just how out there is a, a coming out song, much like what Let It Go has been um, in many ways for, for more modern audiences. And, and, and I think even in the case of Hunchback for, for folks in the disabilities community, um, for, for individuals who maybe even have um, social anxiety, it, there's a lot of symbolism there, which just shows the level of depth of, of a film that really is is not intended to to cover those themes explicitly but has those undertones yes that's that's the beauty of um the best disney animation i think isn't it you can interpret it in so many different ways that's nothing to do with how the creators intended it i think that's that's the mark of the best films that you can put yourself in the shoes of the main character or well any of the characters i suppose and yeah and Quasimodo is a good one for that. Absolutely. Are there, in terms of thinking back to, um, even if it's hard to like remember the specific experience that you had upon initially viewing it, but did you have like hunchback merchandise or or anything um, in your home as a as a young one that related to hunchback? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's terrible. Did you? I did. You know, I was I was cleaning out a closet um, of my childhood home about a year ago, and I came across these hunchback stickers, um, okay. like you know, stickers that you would get at I don't know, just any little store. And um, yeah, it's I, and they were still sealed, and uh, you know, they were very festive, very mid '90s themed. Yeah, uh, excellent. I rocked did the hunchback stickers. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I had an, a, a hunchback cassette tape to listen to the music on a cassette. And uh, did you, I'm not sure what, what it was like in, in terms of just merchandise in different places, but um, in the States, um, they were, it was really big to have like storybook tellings of films on cassette tapes. Um, right. did, was that the case with you too? Um, yes, yeah. Um, I remember having some form of, of, uh, of story on cassette, maybe not necessarily Disney films, but I'm, I'm aware they were out there. I don't think I had any, sadly. <laughs> okay, so I think that's the second unintended out there reference. So <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> we should do like a counter at the end of this recording. How many times does out there yeah. present itself? I'll drink a shot every time I say it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yeah, Hunchback, I mean, it's, if, I'm thinking back to that time, it was during the Disney Renaissance, it had followed Pocahontas the summer before, and and these films, kind of like what many Disney films are today, and, and Pixar, they were very big events in terms of just the amount of advertising and how it was embedded in our culture. Um, do you recall at all how, how Hunchback was uh, pervasive at all in, in the UK, and and where you grew up? I don't remember it being as um, pervasive as, uh, for example, um, Lion King was, you know, everywhere and Aladdin was everywhere. But The Hunchback, I can't, my main association with The Hunchback of Notre Dame is um, the single Someday. And um, in the UK, at least, it was released by uh, the girl group Eternal, who was and still am they're not around anymore a big fan of um and i believe as i was watching the uh film today the song someday plays out of the end credits is by a group called all for one yeah and of course i i don't remember ever hearing that before <laughs> <laughs> despite having watched the film several times as i was watching it today i um maybe i switched it off before the credits i don't know that would be strange um but, or maybe it is that the British DVD that I've watched in the past has someday over the end credits by Eternal um, and the Blu-ray switches it out. I know Disney sometimes does that with the, you don't know what version you're going to get. But yeah, the, the, the song Someday, I, I had that on CD single and the artwork for the CD single, uh, I think there were two CDs actually, um, one of which had a hunchback uh, sort of mega mix <laughs> as the... Uh, as a bonus track, as a B-side. Um, but the imagery on that was taken from Hunchback. It was that sort of orange color of the the advertising that they had over here. Um, so that's my main memory of it. I don't remember, for example, Happy Meal toys, but I, I think that there were. Um, yeah, I think I, that I, might have been- research has shown me <laughs> more recently. <laughs> I seem to recall like there was this weird period in the 90s where some some Disney uh, products were via Happy Meals and others were through Burger King. 
Uh, and I, I seem to recall Hunchback may have been through Burger King. Oh, uh, Burger King. But well, same product, one of those, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right? The differences. <laughs> I know. Um, so did you see Hunchback in the cinema? I did. And you know what's so funny, James? I was in prep preparing for this, I was trying to go back to that day, and I actually remember it. I was, gosh, four and a half. And um, what was really cool at the time, and, and I had this later validated by finding an advertisement, but you, you could actually, it, in where I grew up in Arizona in the southwestern US, and um, for the cinema chain here, when you saw Hunchback in theaters, kids actually got a free ice cream cup um, <laughs> that you would get at the concession stand. And there were okay. little like candies in the ice cream and the outside of the ice cream cup had hunchback based artwork um, on it. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know, I guess maybe I remembered it because it was so weird to have ice cream in the movies, but I remember that really well. And then later I went back to like an old newspaper um, online just to see if, if in fact that memory held and it, it absolutely said that. So it was a perk for seeing hunchback as a kiddo. That's wonderful. Because <laughs> yeah. nothing says seeing um, Hunchback like having a little cup of ice cream. So No, because of all the ice cream that features in the film. Yeah. <laughs> really good. Been a... Very good product placement, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it had been a croissant, then that would have been fine. I would have understood that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so I guess moving on a little bit in terms of Hunchback over the years, what has been your... Um, I, I know you mentioned it a little bit, um, but in, in terms of what has been your personal connection to the film, what what has contributed to you really having such an appreciation for it and considering it one of your favorite movies? Um, well, the music plays a massive part in it. Uh, I, uh, I don't have a very good vocabulary for talking about music, but um, I'm a particular fan of uh, Alan Menken. I mean, who isn't? Um, and I think the score for Hunchback is just gorgeous and it it soars when it should be soaring and it it's emotional when it should be emotional it's, it's just so sort of rich um, and I'm I'm not religious in the slightest but that sort of religious element to it the the um, yeah I don't know and the kind of gospel nature of someday uh, just the the animation is beautiful. It, the the um, depiction of the uh, the windows in Notre Dame and oh, just everything about it, I think, is just. I don't think I could fault it in terms of the um, the artistry, um, in terms of uh, the physical artistry, and then and then the um, the music and the, the voice cast is fantastic as well uh so yeah i'll just I'll gush and say everything <laughs> but as i say that my personal link is i see quasimodo as someone who's coming out and is trying to um be accepted because i know that some people see uh quasimodo not getting the girl um and esmeralda uh, spoiler alert getting together with phoebus at the end um as something as of a sort of a, a step down, a, a step back, or a retrograde move, because it's showing that the sort of the 
um, disabled, ugly character of Quasimodo isn't worthy of getting the girl, but then what he does get is he gets acceptance um, and he accepts himself. And I think that is just the, the main driver for me is that um, sense of acceptance. But that also, I, I guess the flip side is I think Frollo is the most horrible, um, dark villain in much of the Disney animated canon. Uh, that I think his, and particularly his song Hellfire, is just kind of, is the most delicious villainy of any Disney film. And that's, that, that's, I mean, a fact. That's not just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to agree with you on, on that front. And we'll, we'll get into Hellfire in, in just a few minutes. I'm, yes. I'm sure. I, I really appreciated you also just talking about the symbolism of Hunchback, because that's really how I, I think certain films are, are, are those that really connect with us as children or in our younger years because we can appreciate certain aspects on a surface level. But as we get older, um, often we can find the deeper meaning. And I think as you're saying so uh, appropriately, the, the notion of acceptance. And, and I think that's what Disney is for a lot of people, not just films that have it as perhaps explicitly as Hunchback, but even in other spaces where it's all, many of the products and many of the features all connect back to the sense of belonging and, and wanting to just live the best possible life that you can. And um, I think it's, the film is a beautiful illustration of that. It really is. And it um, does it beautifully in terms of its artistry too. And, then, and that's just the cherry on the, on the top. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, as a kid, as I mentioned, I obviously really enjoyed the film, um, seeing in theaters, having the different merchandise, um, really wearing out the VHS tape of it, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I never even owned The Hunchback on DVD. I just, I used that, that VHS <laughs> long after DVD was introduced, but, um, Excellent. and I have to mention, because I, I was trying to think back to why, why did I also love Hunchback so much? Well, it actually had a major presence at my fifth birthday party in which we okay. brought in uh, an, an actor who was uh, Quasimodo and, <laughs> and, he, and he played games with, with all of us kids and I, there may have been puppets. I, I, I'd have to look back at the, the home video, but um, I, I remember just absolutely loving everything related to, to the movie and ultimately as a as a musician for, for fun, because I'm, I'm not a professional, but playing, playing the songs on the piano too, I'm quite enjoying that outlet. Yeah, yeah, I can, uh, yeah, I can see that. Um, have you, <laughs> do you enjoy singing along to the songs? I do, but nobody wants to hear my singing voice, James. <laughs> so you're not gonna have that opportunity today, I'm sorry. Damn, I thought I was gonna get you to sing. <laughs> But in the shower, yes, uh, yeah, I'll do yeah. some out there for sure. I'll tell you one thing that I've noticed about yeah. um, Hunchback uh, that's resonated in the last year in terms of lockdown. It's that watching Quasimodo looking at people as they go about their business outside, trapped inside. <laughs> it's, it's a good parallel for the lockdown experience. Just that desire to escape and be out there. <laughs> Okay, take another shot, James. 
<laughs> said out there. Um, yep. <laughs> no, I, I, my gosh, you're absolutely right. That definitely uh, strikes a chord right now, um, even even hopefully toward the end of this pandemic period. Yeah, um, yeah. Shall all be so lucky. Um, by the time this is released, hopefully um, things are in an even better state. Yes, hopefully let, let's shift over to the songs because we obviously that's a central aspect of the film and what we love about it. Um, if we're just to maybe just to start off with looking at the songs collectively as opposed to individually, what are there any main words or, or themes that you could use to describe what you appreciate about the music, um, specifically the songs. We, we, we can talk about the score in a little bit too. Yeah. Um, there's an epicness to them and a, a sort of um, heft maybe to some of the, the, the songs that is maybe missing in some other films and but perhaps that is also the subject matter and and some of the story beats as well that relates to in terms of the uh religious aspect and um hmm. what i what i enjoyed actually watching back again this morning uh just noticing how much the songs propel the plot, which is, you know, is, it should be a common thing in, and it is quite common in Disney films, but uh, I think they do a lot of heavy lifting and that's, I'm going to big up Alan Menken again, obviously, and Stephen Schwartz too. Um, yeah, I, I, as I say, I struggle to talk about uh, music other than saying yeah it's great it's amazing uh but what i like about things that are out there and hellfire in particularly those two songs is the the build and by the end of it you just want to punch the air uh or, or punch frollo <laughs> but there's yeah that that build to them um but then there's there's the lighter moments in a guy like you i think there's so many I mean, you can talk about the gargoyles as a separate issue because I think there's, uh, they come in for a lot of stick. Um, people aren't quite keen on the tone of the gargoyles, but I think they undercut quite nicely uh, some of the seriousness. And a guy like you does that really well with some really um, imaginative lyrics. And I, I think that's a true the whole, every song on there, there's the, just the lyrical depth and the dexterity is yeah second to none well, well let's what, go ahead i'm sorry what's your take? i was just gonna say what, what's your take on the how would you sum up the soundtrack the songs in a, in a, in a word i think <laughs> i think epic is totally applicable because of the scale and the drama that's associated with it i mean i i, I could make parallels to how circle of life as um, as an opening song really conveys the tone and and sets mm -hmm. up the epicness of, of Lion King. And I would say even more so um, from a different tonal standpoint, Bells of Notre Dame accomplishes just that in both the, the main opening and then the, the reprise at the, at the very end of the film. Um, but in terms of lyrics, because I think that would be an interesting component to explore a little bit. And, and of course, as you mentioned, we have Stephen Schwartz here who worked with Al Minkin on, on Pocahontas um, as well um, the year prior. But 
with Hunchback, there's, uh, and I've talked about this briefly on the podcast before, but I think my vocabulary expanded significantly <laughs> through, through actually reading and, and consistently hearing the lyrics of Hunchback, words like parapet, um, uh, yeah. parapet of stone, or uh, <laughs> calumny and consternation, and the list goes on. But I think that speaks to both Schwartz's adeptness in finding the right word to 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 meet the setting and, and having it you know play along very um in a in a very fun way or or dramatic way but also just um it's there's a rhythm to to how the songs as you said move move the narrative forward and yeah. bells of notre dame is is just it it, it covers so much storytelling in, in the span of six minutes mm-hmm. i i'm all often in awe of of its efficacy in that regard yeah it really rivals uh almost the i know it's not a song but the beginning of up for how much story it packs into that six minutes (laughs) yeah oh absolutely um well and and with bells of notre dame it's what's also cool and i'm not sure if you had this experience when you revisited the film but it's also interesting that this is one one of maybe a handful of Disney songs of of the era where you actually hear the music before the Walt Disney Pictures logo even appears, yes. um, which is a really distinct touch. Like you just hear a bit of the um, the chorus and the you know the sounds from the bells. It's it's beautiful. Yes, I suppose that um, makes it even more feel even more like a stage musical in that sort of a, having an overture almost. I know it's only brief, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure we can uh, talk about the musical. But yeah, it, it really, like you say, sets the tone before you've even <laughs> got sat down. And one thing I was, uh, that I remembered doing was um, in, I was on holiday in Japan a few years ago and went to one of their karaoke booth bar places and chose to sing the bells of notre dame and (laughs) it is a very difficult song to sing live and there's a lot of latin that i didn't know that i didn't know (laughs) so yeah my top tip is just be careful if you decide to sing bells of notre dame at the karaoke (laughs) so my so my question is did you both sing the roles of frollo and the archdeacon i sang everything (laughs) (laughs) everything I could. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> if there were only a video of that that was leaked on the internet, I would pay good money oh, to see it. That would be a shame. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of if we maybe want to go into any of the specific songs, it seems like Out There is perhaps a, a natural place to continue as both the second song from the film, the I Want song, and, and certainly a song that um, has connected with us on, on different levels. Um, yep thinking about whether the, the, the song within the context of the film or, or even outside of it, what to you is, is so beautiful and significant about it? And I realize that's a leading question, but I know that you already harbor that opinion. Yes, yeah, I do. Um, what is beautiful about it? Um, well, it's uh, what, it's Tom Hulse, isn't it? The, 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 uh, the voice actor. We should uh, credit him. 
Um, his voice is just amazing. Um, and the, as I said, well, that song begins with Frollo, doesn't it? Rather than, and, and then leads into Quasimodo, um, which sometimes I forget. Sometimes, uh, you know, as much as I like it, I, I pop on out there and like, oh, no, this guy's here. I, I want to get to Quasimodo and, and do that and, and, and sing his bits. Um, but it, yeah, that's, what I mean is the, the song builds so nicely from this sort of horrible um, putting down of Quasimodo and then him expressing his I want um, just so beautifully and matched with uh, him diving out, uh, not diving out, uh, skating down the, the sides of Notre Dame as he's, he's singing. It's just, I find it hard to put into words, I think, because it's just so <laughs> probably or, uh, coherently, as you can tell. <laughs> as a musician, I'm sure you've got a, um, a better take on why out there is such a good song. No, I think you're you're right about it. What's, and and there, the song, as you've mentioned, has two parts, and it really could be split into it, and um, and obviously have a very different feeling. So the first part, obviously, being the duality between Frollo and Quasimodo, and I love the section where, um, and I, I don't have the, the appropriate musical term for it, but where there's um, there's an overlap, right? So you, you hear Frollo singing and then Quasimodo repeating as Frollo is still singing and you're feeling that sense of tension and uh, as I mentioned, duality. And then obviously the second part is Quasimodo's um, time to shine. And um, it's, it's, it's apps. I, I really, I've said it before. I think it's one of the best songs that Mencken's um, well, certainly at Mencken and Schwartz as a partnership um, have written, but certainly one of the, the strongest Disney songs because there's such there's such depth and also such um, sheer beauty. And, and part of that is because Hulse does not have a perfect voice, but it, there's such a there's such an organic quality to it, and it's yes. I, I find it to be very lovely to listen to. Yes, certainly. Yeah. I can't not be moved by it when I'm hearing it. I'm just thinking about, as you're saying, that duality and the um, the repeated lines, you are deformed, I am deformed. It's kind of emotional abuse set to music <laughs> and you're seeing it played out. It shouldn't be so such a, <laughs> an affecting song, but I suppose uh, that's not the affecting bit. It's, it's what comes after when Frollo leaves the, the stage, so to speak. Yeah, no, you're, I mean, and... And that's I think that this is another reason why, harkening back to what we're talking about uh, briefly, uh, a little bit earlier, just the the notion of why, why out there and why Quasimodo is such a powerful character. And I'll just mention just from the disability community standpoint, because of hearing this messaging about about who you are and how you look and and how you act or how you behave or how you go about the world, and it not always kind of reflecting those those notions of normalcy or, or what's considered um, appropriate and or, or valued. And hearing that just directly from Frollo as you articulate with those lyrics, it's, it, it's haunting to listen to. And, and that's, I think, what makes the, the culmination of the song with Quasimodo um, just uh, jumping around Notre Dame um, so rewarding because 
you feel that free spirit come out. Yes, yeah, you feel him letting it go. And, uh, you know, what I, what I also really love is just looking at the music within the context of the film is just the sheer artistry associated with the animation on screen. And you can see that influence of, of computer-generated animation in tandem with the traditional um, to really provide depth and scale to Notre Dame as a, as a structure, as a, piece, as a set piece, really. Yeah, there's a real sweep to it, isn't there? As uh, the camera roams around the Notre Dame and, and following Quasimodo. Yeah, it, it, I don't know how anyone could watch it and not get caught up in that. <laughs> and in terms of that, like the cinematography, as you're speaking to, I, I think one of the more unique aspects is a very, very brief moment, but when he splashes the water, I believe it's when he splashes the water in his face and you almost see like a lens flare. Mm. Have, you, have you picked up on that? Yes, yeah, I've noticed that, yeah. I, I, find, I find that mm. to be very cool. So, yeah. That's an interesting sort of touch that you don't get anywhere else in the film, I don't think. Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, a, yeah, and it's, I, I find it to be, utterly baffling how it was never um how the song was not nominated for an oscar because wow. it was after all of those you know consecutive let's say for lion king but those consecutive wins for for Mankin, um and and his lyrical partners um for for those other disney animated features yeah is it, it just as baffling is is why so many people haven't seen this film <laughs> and have seen other disney films but this one seems to slip them by yeah i got it but um so certainly we have the um the grandeur of out there and then it's uh, followed not too long after by topsy-turvy um thoughts on this festive song oh, well aside from the song there's the the um and the song's are very funny the, there's so many sight gags so many people getting kicked in the groin <laughs> i noticed that's more, true <laughs> more than i remember when i was watching this morning like, oh this is this is quite a running gag <laughs> um, but then uh yeah i i find the character of clopan interesting because he's sort of acts as a chorus and then when he appears later in the film he's almost well he's ready to hang two of your two of the characters so he's He's always a character that I find interesting, but but um, yeah, Topsy Turvy does so much. As we were saying about uh, the bells of Notre Dame, really telling so much uh, through that one song. Topsy Turvy brings us from um, Quasimodo stuck inside, thinking about being out there, to being out there and and <laughs> finding out what the the real world's like, I guess. And so there's a heck of a lot of emotions that you experience as a viewer i think um as well as quasimodo because he's he thinks everything's going fine and then yeah not so much yeah it's it's a very complex song from the standpoint of as you're saying it's it's bouncy it's festive there's a fun chorus but it it becomes so dark so quickly mm -hmm. that mind you not necessarily um within the, the main song context, but of course, yeah, yeah. immediately after, but it, it makes it a very hard um, hard song to to take in because of, uh, mind you, I absolutely uh, adore the, 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 the buoyancy to it, but it's because there's there's also just this notion of, of critiquing p 
people who are different. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's hard to, that's hard to swallow, um, even if it's meant in a, in an incisive way. Yeah. So it's, I, don't know, I think it's more complex than when you think about it this song, isn't it? <laughs> As it always is, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and uh, in terms of the visual, there's a lot of visual gags in this song, as you mentioned. Like, I, I'm, I kind of forgot that until I rewatched it, as opposed to just listening to it. Yeah, you do, don't you? You forget the uh, well. Then I'm free. <laughs> I forget about all the rest of it. Yep. And uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, Topsy Turvy introduced us to Esmeralda as well, and. She is stunning. <laughs> I think, um, uh, say, speaking as a gay man, I think she's one of the most attractive of the animated um, heroines in the Disney canon, but she's passed over in, in terms of she's not a Disney princess. So I think she gets a little bit forgotten. Esmeralda is uh, very much uh, an attractive and more sensual character and, and certainly a, a feat for Disney animators and really capturing uh, a different flair for what we had seen in a, in a heroine um, within a Disney animated film because of her, certainly um, just the notion of, you know, she's a, a gypsy, she's um, an extremely compassionate character and, and certainly someone who's been quite overlooked in society and, and really um, diminished by, by people in power. Certainly, and that's another of the um, themes, the sort of more adult themes, I suppose, of hunchback is that sort of issue of racism which isn't tackled sort of um maybe not explicitly uh, or it's not an overarching theme at least but uh just to add to Frollo's list of awful attributes is his attitude to as you say the gypsies and uh, Esmeralda being the, the main representative um yeah he's misogynist he's racist he's an awful man which makes him a great villain. <laughs> yes, and, and Esmeralda gets uh, the spotlight in the subsequent song that we should discuss, which is God Help the Outcasts, which yep. um, is perhaps one of the most religious Disney songs, I think um, mm. many could argue, and, and certainly in terms of the context um, as well. Um, what are your immediate interpretations of, um, of this piece of music? And, and certainly we know that um, Demi Moore, although she provides the uh, speaking voice for Esmeralda um, doesn't cover the singing voice. Instead, that's uh, Heidi Monhauer. But uh, thoughts on God Help the Outcasts? Yeah, my thoughts on God Help the Outcasts is always, I think whenever I hear it, it's always it's kind of laced with surprise at, to hear such a song in a Disney animation, which are normally, I don't know, feel quite secular. Um, although the song does start with the line, I don't know if you can hear me or if you're even there. So, so it's it's not just religious; it's questioning the existence of a god, which is another level again. I think. Good of, point. Uh, yeah, it, it's just something that probably more contentious than you would expect to find in a, a um, in a song in uh, an animated film. What do I think about the song other than "God Help the Outcast"? It's it's not my go-to one. I like it as I think it's beautiful. Um, Perhaps it's a bit more straightforward, but then is it because it's contentious? Ah, James, you're um, talking. 
nonsense. <laughs> um, I think I like the insight into uh, Esmeralda. Because uh, she, well, this is her only song, isn't it? God help the outcast. Yeah. Um, fortunately, she doesn't get someday. Uh, and she gets a bit more to do in the stage musical version. Um, it's a shame we don't hear more from Esmeralda. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, I think Mulhauer's voice is just gorgeous. And, mm-hmm. um, and and actually, even though we know Demi Moore's voice is more of a raspy and, and hoarse, but I could imagine that even though there's that contrast, um, it, still, it still fits. It doesn't seem like it's a completely different um, take on Esmeralda, even though the, the voice is different here. Um, yeah, that's true. But I, I love you. You pointed out the lyrics in terms of the questioning, and I, I guess I thought about it, but um, not necessarily right at this time. But some of the lyrics that also stand out: "I asks, I ask for nothing. I can get by, but I know so many less lucky than I." Not co- not complex vocabulary here compared to um, what we've heard in other songs, but in terms of the symbolism, where I mean, she's. Esmeralda as a character is, is really struggling and yet she still sees that there's so many individuals who, who have much worse situations and I think it just speaks to her her character that she has that perspective. Yeah, yeah, it really adds the, that depth to her character, doesn't it? Yeah. And is this the, the song that you pulled a lyric out and I did not get when we were doing the quiz? Not too many. Not too long <laughs> I'm not sure. I I hope you don't. Yeah, I I don't remember, but that's very possible. <laughs> I'm sure there was a song about my people. Oh, please help my people. <laughs> yeah, not that I'm I'm annoyed at myself for not getting that. <laughs> it, it hasn't stayed with you all these months later, right? No, no, not at all. <laughs> And there is a lot more to come as James and I deconstruct all things Hunchback on the second part of this reflection of the music and magic of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. So you'll want to stay tuned to the next episode of Notably Disney as we uncover more about the 1996 animated classic. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably, Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company. 